I don't know what particular state you are in as you come to this service. It was a fair number of weeks ago that Chris asked me to preach at the nine o'clock service. And as it was the Sunday after Easter, so yes, last week we were all joyful. We had flowers and the cross and everything. We were really joyful about the fact that Christ had risen. And the idea was that today, as will be happening in many churches across the land, that today we'd be concentrating on some of the stories of Jesus and his resurrection. But When she asked me, I just had a sense that I needed to speak on the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And then I looked at the passage in 1 Corinthians 15 and I thought, help, this is really difficult and am I really up to this? But of course, God knew, he knew the situation that we were going to find ourselves in this morning and that we would be just very conscious of these thoughts about life and death. And that is what we're going to be looking at this morning. So let's just pray before we look at this passage. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bring words today, words of comfort for those who need comfort that you would bring words that are of truth, that these would be words that come from your word and that through your Holy Spirit, you would interpret them to our hearts, that we may just have some understanding as to what it is that you want to tell us this morning. And Father, that these would be words of encouragement. Father, we may leave here still with questions, but we thank you that you walk with us, that you teach us, you want us to learn more of your ways, and we ask that you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 is relatively long. In your Bibles, in your pew, I think it's on 1,156. You will be pleased to know that I am just going to read selections from it. So we are starting at verse number three. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, 
We are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's just look at the very first bit of this passage first, verses 3 to 8. There are many stories, aren't there, in the Gospels about Jesus rising from the dead. So first of all, we have Mary who goes to the tomb and she meets a man that she 
assumes must be the gardener and speaks to him for a while. And it's only when he calls her name that she recognizes him to be Jesus. Then we have the disciples walking along the road to Emmaus. They're walking along and there is somebody walking along with them and they're discussing all the things that happened. And it was only when he broke bread with them, had some food with them, that actually they realized that this was Jesus that Jesus appeared to all his disciples in a room where they were. Thomas wasn't there on that occasion, and he didn't believe what his fellow disciples were, were saying to him. He felt that he actually had to see Jesus for himself and not just see him with his eyes. He needed to use his hands to touch the wounds to know that this really was Jesus. Paul tells us here that 500 people saw him all at the same time. We know that he helped the disciples when they went out fishing and enabled them to catch loads of fish, that he shared breakfast with them on the beach, that he ate with them, that he then had that conversation with Peter. We know that they then saw him actually be ascended into heaven. Loads of people saw Jesus, and indeed Paul himself says that he saw the risen Jesus. So loads of evidence of people meeting and seeing Jesus, but there seems to be something just slightly different, isn't there? Most people don't seem to recognize Jesus straight away, but we still know that he ate. We know that people were able to touch him. We know that sometimes he seemed to be there, and the suggestion is that maybe then he did just seem to not there. So while there were many things that were made all these disciples absolutely convinced that this same Jesus was alive, this same person, no way was this a ghost, there was also something about his risen body that was just that bit different. Now, this passage here, verse 20, if we have a look, it says that Jesus has been raised the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, those who have died. The first fruits, the first pickings of the crop, of the tree, or in the field. The suggestion is there is about to be a full harvest. That for all who have died, there is about to be this resurrection. Now, resurrection was not a new thing for the Jews. They believed, because there are passages in the Old Testament, in Daniel, Isaiah, the Psalms, about the dead rising. Now, we know there was some doubt about it for some people, because we all know from Sunday school that the Sadducees were sad because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. But the Pharisees, they did. So the general teaching was that those who had died would rise again. And Jesus appears to confirm that as well in what he says in 1 John. He says, "Do not, sorry, not 1 John, John 5. Do not be amazed at this, for the time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. So Jesus too believed that there was to be a resurrection. 
And in the epistles, Paul writes about it quite a lot. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, find the right page that I put that on, so I did this. There we are. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven, and with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We have obviously sung some songs this morning that have talked about different ideas as to what happens at those final times. And I guess that if I were to ask you what happens when you die, that you might have some, some ideas. We hear things in, um, at funerals, we sing the things in songs. And certainly if you have family, loved ones who've died or you're approaching that yourself, then you are thinking, what is going to happen when I die? And for most of us as Christians, we have this idea, don't we, that I am going to leave my earthly body, it is left here, disintegrates, and my spirit, and I go to be with Jesus in heaven. And that's kind of about as far as we go. I'm going to be with Jesus and all will be absolutely fine. Makes this passage slightly more difficult for us to totally understand. So, what does happen after we die? First of all, what's heaven? So, in Genesis chapter 1, we gather that God created both heaven and earth. Two dimensions, places, whatever, that seem to go alongside each other. There seems to be some kind of slight crossing linking of the two happening concurrently. Genesis 1. And then we go right to the very end of the Bible, Revelation 21, and we read that God is going to restore and recreate a new earth and a new heaven. So maybe rather than us thinking of heaven as being up there, which is what the Jews thought. The Jews thought it was, it was up there, and it might actually be better for us to be thinking of heaven as being a bit more alongside us. So if we read about this, about the body, then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it mentions that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord's home. So yes, there is the suggestion that when we die, we leave our body and we go to be with Jesus in heaven. Now, I have got some quotes this morning from N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright is a previous bishop of Durham. 
He is not the one that didn't believe in the virgin birth. He is now a theologian, and he works at St. Andrew's University. He's a professor of New Testament and early Christianity, a very learned man. He has written loads and loads of books, but he writes books both for us to help do Bible study, more the man in the pew. He writes them under the name of Tom Wright. So if you pick up a book saying it's written by Tom Wright, Hopefully, you won't have too much difficulty in understanding it. However, if you pick up a book written by N.T. Wright, exactly the same person, you'll probably discover it's written in slightly more academic speech. But most of the quotes that are coming today are coming from N.T. Wright. He says, heaven is important, but it's not the end of the world kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? But there's actually some deeper meaning in that. Heaven is important, but not the end of the world. So what is this resurrection? He is basically saying that resurrection is not heaven. Resurrection isn't a fancy way of saying going to heaven when you die. It's not about life after death as such. Rather, it's a way of talking about being bodily alive again after a period of being bodily dead. Resurrection is a second stage post-mortem life. Life after, life after death. Okay, read that. Because Philippians 3.21 tells us that we are going to be transformed to be like Jesus' glorious body. So as we read in the Gospels about Jesus and what his body was like when he was resurrected, we too are going to have that resurrection body. So why does it actually matter about the resurrection of the body. Three points. Firstly, God has not given up on his mission of rescue and renewal. When Jesus rose from the dead, as we very happily celebrate Easter, we believe that he defeated death. And that power of defeating death, it was not just for Jesus in rising to the dead, it will also be for us, that we too have that same power as believers and followers of Jesus, that we will rise from the dead. That's not just in a spiritual sense, it will also be in a bodily sense. When we go back to the creation stories in Genesis 1, we discover that God created this world and this heaven and this earth, and it was perfect, and it was pleasant. And then, of course, Adam and Eve decided to go along and do things their own way, and sin came into the world. When sin came into the world, it brought about death. It's brought about death for us, and it has brought about death for our world. Jesus, when he 
died and rose again, he has broken that curse that came about because of Adam and Eve's sin. It is dealt with. Revelation 21 tells us that he is making it all new again. He is going to totally restore this heaven and this earth to the perfect way that it was when God first created it in Genesis chapter 1. So secondly, this proves to us that the world does matter. We're obviously hearing quite a lot at the moment about climate change and protests. We also hear about all the things where our world shows that it is dying, that it's groaning. Whether it is in the way of earthquakes and tsunamis, whether it's the way in that we're dealing with climate change and all our melting icebergs in the, in the north and the problems, whether it's the man-made problems of pollution and plastic, we know that our world is deteriorating. And that's never mind whether we start to sort of press the buttons on nuclear bombs, atom bombs, etc., Our world is really groaning. But God thinks it's really important. In Romans chapter 8, he actually links the groaning pains of our world with the redemption of his children. So the two are to be redeemed at the same time. So Christ's resurrection is not just about the fact that we as believers will be safe with God forever. It's about that the whole thing will be renewed and made good, which actually does give us as Christians some implications in how we treat the planet. Because if God needs to make it new again, then obviously we don't particularly want to be involved in making things get, get worse. We shouldn't just be thinking, I won't be here. We will be back on this earth. This renewal of everything is actually going to make our planet, our place, something that is really good and beautiful again. So when we look around, there's going to be flowers, colors, plants, fruit. There's going to be the lion lying with the lamb. All these are images that come in the Bible as to what the perfect planet is going to look like. Maybe you have ideas about the things that you would like to do in this world before you die. But actually, you're going to have all eternity. It doesn't matter if you ever get to New Zealand, because you've got eternity to do that in the new earth with our resurrected bodies. And finally, it is real hope for those of us whose bodies are failing, which actually probably is most of us here. I know that my eyesight is not as good as it used to be. I know that my hearing is not as good as it used to be. I know that I can't run for the bus as well as I used to be able to do. And actually, I'm generally fairly fit. You will all know people who are 
disabled, who have got illness and disease that are crippling their bodies. You will know people who are really struggling with mental illness. That the resurrection of the body tells us that we will be recreated. There will be none of these things. There will be no crying, no suffering, no anxiety, no pain. You know, my mum is getting quite old. She's almost 93. And unfortunately, she has Alzheimer's. She is really pretty frail. And she doesn't know us. And in many ways, she's no longer my mum. She's not the person that used to give me advice and have input into conversation. Going to see her is really quite hard work. And we might often use that phrase of they're a shadow of their former self. N.T. Wright tells us that actually we are now even when we're fit. So you think of yourself when you're actually in your prime. I don't know how old you think that is, your 20s, your 30s. Just you imagine the time that you felt that you were absolutely rearing for it with body, mind, spirit, etc., that even at your absolute best, you are only a shadow of your future self. So much for us to look forward to, to be able to have conversations and talk to the people that maybe from previous generations, to spend time conversation We do have this idea, don't we, which has been reflected in some of the songs, and I'm sure that's maybe what the heaven bit's like. I'm sure there will be certainly time for praising God in the earth resurrected bit as well. But if we look at the the Garden of Eden, we have Adam and Eve walking around the garden, and sometimes God is with them, walking with them, talking with them. But there are also times when God is not walking, talking with them. That's how they manage to take the apple and bring sin into the world. So maybe the new earth will be like that, that there'll be actually times when Jesus is walking alongside talking to me and you, but there'll be other times he's not, and he's away over talking to you folk at the back. I don't know, and there are obviously there are loads of questions, but there's loads of passages that we can look at, read, and try to get our heads around what this actually means. But this is a message of hope and encouragement. So for even for somebody like Simon, whose life has been cut off in his prime, He still has all eternity to enjoy, to explore and do all the things that we're maybe sad that he's not had the opportunity to do here. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about us being clothed in an earthly tent. I think the image from that maybe is not necessarily these nice new modern tents, but let's take some of the old canvassy ones, you know, this brown sort of fabric with a pole. That's kind of like what our bodies are like. And as it gets a bit older, then um, when there's a heavy shower, the rain starts coming through, and then the, um, the wind comes and the tents kind of blow down. That that's what our earthly bodies are like. But he also then says, 
but we are going to be clothed in a heavenly building, something that is beautiful, that is robust. Jesus talked about going to build mansions. Maybe the, maybe the, the mansions are bodies, our bodies. I don't quite know. There are so many unanswered questions to these, but we want to have encouragement as to what that future is going to be. You may feel, and I had that comment from some people when I spoke about this at at nine o'clock, you've just raised loads of questions. And I would encourage you just to look into it. Maybe for some of you, this is a really pertinent thing at the moment. You really need encouragement for those of your friends, loved ones who are no longer with us, for those that are going to depart from us fairly soon. Or for maybe yourself. So the main passages to look at, 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Romans 8 from verse 18 onwards, Revelation 21. Or Google NT Write in YouTube. There are loads of clips on NT Write in YouTube. Particularly, you want things that are talking about, say, life after death. You will find some clips where he talks in a very accessible way. You'll understand what he's saying for about five minutes. There are also talks where he'll go on for an hour or so. You can choose what you, you want to, to listen to. John Eldridge has also written a book called All Things New which talks about the restoration of heaven and earth and all things that you love. And it just starts using your imagination to actually think, well, what could it be like? What is it that God has for us? These are words of encouragement because he wants his people to be prepared for the struggles. And yes, there are struggles in this life. And undoubtedly, there were loads and loads of struggles for the people that Paul was writing this to. Yes, their lives would have probably terminated a lot earlier than most of ours, and possibly in not very pleasant circumstances. He wanted them to be quite sure of the hope that we have because Christ has been raised from the dead. Let's just pause and pray. Father, we thank you that the future for those of us who believe and trust in you is assured. That there will be time where we are in heaven just like that thief on the cross was in paradise with Jesus that day. But there will also be a time where we are restored to full fitness and health. There will be time for us to enjoy all the glories and the wonders of your creation. Father, we ask that you would encourage us today and teach us because you wanted us to know about these things. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.